Good morning, church. Good morning. I'm coming from Numbers 11, chapter 13. Uh, just chapter 13, uh, 1. 13, 1. I'm going to jump around. Yeah, chapter 13, and then I'm going to jump around. Well, bear with me. Uh, verse 1 says... The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. That's key. Which I am giving to the people of Israel. Excuse me. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord. All of them, men who were... Heads of the people of Israel. So, and then we go down to 25, verse 25. And it says, At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron, and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. Which they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this, this is a fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Nejbal. The Hittites, the Gyptites, and the Amorites dwelt in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwelt by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Well, the Lord had gave them a word. He said that the land that I'm giving to the people of Israel. He even said that here in Exodus. He told uh, Moses to tell the people. I have observed you and, and I have. Uh, I, promise, I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord had told them once before, and he told them again, that he was giving them this land, but the people feared. And the Lord gave a word, and he confirmed it. He gave a word in spirit, and he confirmed, confirmed it in the natural you know what's, what's, what's really bad is that an unbeliever doesn't believe in God. Not, not even, he doesn't give God a chance. But what's bad is that when you have a believer that God has told them something and they still don't believe it. He says right here, 
And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? And that's where we have to get to. We have to even despise the things of the natural and just put our confidence, our trust in the Lord. How sad is it that, you know, that when the Lord has given us a word and we still don't react in faith, even after He's given us a word, we're still hard-headed, we still doubt, we still are in unbelief, we still don't trust. How sad is it that when the Lord said, I've given you this land, I've, you are healed, you are prosperous, you will overcome, you are mine, I love you, and we still have doubt, we still are not able to prosper in this world, in this, this natural state when everything is by faith, by the Spirit. I encourage today that the Lord is good, that He's, He's given you a word to react not in unbelief, not, you know, in doubt, but when the word has said, either by his written word or by a rhema word, it's done, it's finished. And we need to walk, trusting, believing that we are overcomers and we will overcomers. We are more than conquerors. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's a good word, Brother George. Timely, too, huh? <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, today I am blessed to be here to break bread. Spiritual manna from heaven, the Word of God. Jesus himself, the word made flesh. So we're going to partake today of the word of God. Father, we just ask that you cause this seed of your precious word to take root and bear fruit in our lives. Help us to keep you in the forefront of our hearts and minds. That we not be distracted by the attempts of the enemy and for our time and affection. That we magnify you and your truth and that we agree with you, Lord, and stand on the words that you give us. And do not have unbelieving hearts and shrink back in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, there's just no future in the past. And being negative and doubtful and is just really putting faith in the devil and what he can do or what he has done. When we talk about the things, the, the, the negative things that have happened, the negative history of our lives or culture or anything, it's really just bragging on the devil. 
And he loves it. There's no good that comes from it. Worry, same thing. Fear, doubt, worry, worry like a rocking chair. Give you something to do. Doesn't get you anywhere. (laughs) And it never helps you tomorrow. It only robs today of all of its blessings. The only benefit from our past is when we can draw upon it to keep us humble, remind, remember what God has brought us from, and then maybe use it for ministry and helping others, drawing on the experiences we ourselves have been through and the same temptations and so forth. But dwelling in the past, living in the past is not helpful. Even with our sins, when we come to the Lord and we get squared away with Him and He just wants us to get over it. He does. He's already forgiven us. And it's good to talk to Him about things. Be honest. Ask for His help and guidance. And repent if you need to. And then say, Lord, I dropped the ball right there. I got it now. Let's go. And He loves that. He is a God of progress and future. You're not going to help anybody... By focusing on your problems. And that's why he wants us to live in agreement with him. Because that's the place of our provision and our help. And the power in our lives definitely is in believing. Joshua and Caleb got it right. Yes, there were giants in the land. Yes, in the natural they could have cleaned the house with those little Israelites. But Joshua and Caleb, unlike the other spies, remembered all the things that God had already brought them through. They could have never walked across the Red Sea on dry ground without God, and he did that for them. He put all the ten plagues on Egypt and got them out of there. Not only got them out of there, but got them out of there with wealth. Caused all their neighbors (laughs) from the the Egyptian Empire to give them... Give them silver and gold and things to to get get them on their way in wealth. He kept them healthy all the time out there in the wilderness, even though they were disobedient. You know, they were up to Mount Sinai. Shoes didn't even wear out. It's best to be thankful for what God's brought us from and focus on the things he's bringing us to knowing that whatever we're in he will bring us through nothing is impossible with God that's what it says in Luke 1 verse 37 but we can limit God with our stinking thinking our doubt and unbelief can't we if we're born again if we've come to know the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior to the exclusion of all others 1 Corinthians 5, 17. I think a couple weeks ago I, I said 1 Corinthians 5, 27. <laughs> I was excited. I do that a lot, but nobody mentioned it, so maybe nobody heard it. But <laughs> 1 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
in our spirit, we're regenerated. We've gotten rid of that sin nature, that nature, that fallen nature of Satan. Nothing compelling us, nothing making us sin. Nothing making us not choose God. It's a choice. But everything is definitely different now if you really have the Lord. I remember the Lord one time when we were just, my wife and I were really truly born again and we were still struggling with some of the carnage and wreckage of our past and the things that we had opened the doors for the enemy and so there was a lot of strife and heartache in our home and and I asked the preacher I said man I thought you know I know everything has changed now I know it's renewed but it's still here you know it still hurts it's still got these flare ups and he he uh, it was a funny analogy he gave me he said you know you ever had a skunk under your house <laughs> which I I hadn't, but I get the analogy, right? A skunk under your house, and so you got to get that skunk out of there. So you go in, you kill that skunk, you get it out of there, and it's gone. Yeah, but that smell still lingers, and it pops up from time to time. <laughs> and that's how it is when you come to God. We planted a lot of bad seed, and we're still reaping a harvest. Now by repenting and trusting God, we can believe for crop failure for some of that bad seed. And begin to plant new seed. And we can definitely expect a good harvest. But just like we just planted a couple hundred acres of cotton the other day. And we don't have cotton crop today. We know though, based on God's promise. That that one seed... That cotton seed is going to produce the same thing as we planted, later than we planted, more than what we planted. And that's how it is with everything in the kingdom of God, which is all in seed form. Whether it's our time, our love, our words, our money, etc. I was, around that same time period, I was at a gas pump. And I was really broken and hurting inside. Feeling alone and lonely in the world and unloved at the time. (laughs) Probably a lot of my own doing, some of it, and some of it wasn't. But still I was getting the effects of it. I was in a bad place, but I loved God. I knew I had come to know Him, and I was in the kingdom of God, but I was still broken, same thing. I remember looking into a beautiful sunset, standing at that gas pump, and tears just began to run down my eyes and I said, Lord, I'm seeking you. From everything within me, I meant that. And it was as if somebody tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around and directly behind me was the most beautiful rainbow from end to end like you seldom see. It looks like it was just centered right in front of me and around me, you know. And I remember the majesty and the beauty of that. And I knew it was God just answering that little request. That, that, that fact that I was seeking Him. And He just tapped me on the shoulder, turned me around and said, Here I am. And He showed me a beautiful picture of one of His promises to us. Reminding me that now all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. Just like the covenant of His rainbow and the clouds whenever 
after Noah had experienced the flood and his promise that he would never destroy all life again with the water. It had been a lot to me that day and I, I knew that he was with me and he loved me. But you know, we still experience condemnation. It doesn't come from God. It comes from the evil one. But it's something we definitely need to deal with. Otherwise, we'll run from God instead of to Him when we need Him the most. If we believe that the condemnation is coming from Him. So it's important that we know that it's not from Him. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, This is talking about the circumcision of the heart, not of the skin. God made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all our sins, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Excuse me. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What was what was it that the enemy used to condemn us or to accuse us? It was the law. The Ten Commandments, basically. Another place it says it was those things chiseled in stone. And the only thing that God put in stone, which he wrote the first ones, he made Moses chisel out the second group after he broke them. But he set those aside because Jesus upheld all the requirements of the law. So it was set aside, nailed to the cross, And he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He's talking about the rulers and authorities of this world, the powers and and spiritual demonic forces of Satan. He disarmed them by taking away everything they had to accuse God's children with. Putting them to shame. You see, so not only are we forgiven... But when the devil reminds us of our sins and he tries to condemn us, all we have to do is remind him of what Jesus has done. It's never on our account that we have these privileges and benefits. It's always because of Jesus. And that's all we have to do is remind him of what Jesus has done for us to remind us that we are loved and accepted in Christ and that our Father loves us and carries his our picture in his wallet, amen. The real revelation has to be his love toward us. I remember this was the biggest thing that I struggled with, and it's important even now, but I had a dream one time. I was really concerned about this. You know, I think a lot of people who were really led a sinful life 
struggle with the fact that, you know, I, I'm sure that he does forgive some, but for me, it's just too much, <laughs> you know. But he came to me in a dream, and I was standing in a courtroom, a dark, giant courtroom. I was standing up as I've seen thousands of um, criminals stand before the, the bench when I worked in the legal system. And I've, I've seen men sentenced to death. I've seen all sorts of things. And that's the position I was in. Standing there, facing the bench, knowing that I was in a courtroom, that I was the one being charged, and knowing also that I was guilty. But I looked to my right, and there Jesus was standing. I'll never forget the look. He was so wonderful, so beautiful, so majestic. He was standing at my right hand side. He was my attorney. He was my advocate. And I looked forward and there was no judge. There was no jury. There was no prosecutor. No one there to accuse me. Only Jesus. And I was free to go. Not guilty. Guilty is sin, but free as a bird. Not on account of me, but on account of Jesus. I turned back to him, and he turned, and he walked back toward the, the back wall of that courtroom. And I remember I had fallen to my knees by then. I couldn't stand in his presence my I was so became weak and overwhelmed but I remember reaching out and calling out to him please take me with you take me with you and he just continued on and walked right through the wall of course I know now that he I couldn't go with him at the time but I will We need a revelation of God's love for us. Romans 8.39 says, Neither depth nor height nor any other thing in all creation can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One time I was crying out to the Lord in that same time period I was in a parking lot, a Home Depot parking lot in my truck, and I just pulled over and just began to pray and cry out. And I had just recently been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I began to pray and cry out, and I began to pray in the Spirit, crying and praying in, in a loud voice <laughs> for a while. And then I heard laughter. Not a mocking laughter, not a making fun of laughter, but a laughter like you would laugh at a little, like I would laugh at my little two-year-old granddaughter when she finds something so traumatic and emotional and she's dramatizing it and I know that everything's fine and I've got her, you know, I would laugh and pick her up and comfort her and that's the laugh I heard. 
And then I heard him say that you're my child and I'm pleased. The same thing he said in Matthew 17, 3.17 when he said, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He said that to me. And it broke my heart. Not in a bad way, in a good way. I needed that. And what a gift. I know the word says, More blessed are them who have not seen yet believe, but he still was willing to do that for me. And I'm so thankful because I needed it. It's so empowering. Because there's this world is is full of contradictions and and different pulls on us to go this way and that way. And the world is and the devil are vying for our time and affection, and, and God is jealous for us as well and wants us to know Him and to be comforted and loved by Him and to know His ways so that we'll be protected. In Him. So there are things of God and there are things of the world and of man. Our goal is to align our thoughts with God and He will give us the desires of our heart. If our desires become His desires, then His desires will be granted in us, you see. He said in Amos 3.3, 3, How can two walk together lest they be agreed? Well, he's saying, he's calling us to agree with him. He's not going to say, well, I'll meet you halfway, you know, in your sin and unbelief. No, he, he's saying it's necessary that you agree with me so that you will know me better and that we can walk and stride together and be friends. And that way I can help you the most. I know there are people in my life that I speak into their lives and they're helped by that because I don't speak on my own authority I speak to them what what God tells me what God shows me through his word and I know it's a help and so everyone that calls upon me for that counsel I give it to them in love and I know that it works it's the seed of God's word and his direction and guidance and they're always blessed by it I have other people that I love very much and I don't speak into their lives because they don't receive from me. They have not um, they have not thought of that as something that they wanted or needed and so they don't get it. Not because I don't want to give it to them. I, I pray that they will seek God out and, and seek uh, His answers through me or at least find it from someone. But that's where it's at, you know. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me just turn over there real quick. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. This is Paul beseeching us, really pleading with us. By the mercies of God. In other words, based on everything that you've read and seen and been taught about the Lord, about all the wonderful mercies He's extended towards you, the grace He has given you, based on His goodness and what you've come to know about Him, 
on account of that, please present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's a reasonable sacrifice, the King James says. This is the only reasonable request that can be made of you based on Jesus, the Son of God, dying on the cross for you. Can't you at least agree with Him and learn about Him and walk with Him? Because that's where your help is anyway. That's your spiritual worship, He says, to to live holy and acceptable to God. And then it says in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. We need to take the, the corrupt information that we have that has been input into this computer sitting on our shoulders all our lives by the world, by the media, by Hollywood, and by uh, the wrong-minded educational system in many cases, and even sometimes by church that has wrong doctrine and teachings. But whatever it is, if it doesn't agree with this word, then it's wrong. And we need to renew our minds according to the truth of God's word That's a reasonable sacrifice, he said. We'll be transformed. We'll become Christ-like in our thinking and in our actions because we will know the truth. We can get so full of the truth that we can't stand the lie anymore. You notice that? Some of the things that you have, the light bulb has just gone on and you really get it. You understand a certain thing or things about God and His ways and His truth. And then when you hear the opposite of that now, it's like somebody scratching their fingers on a chalkboard. It's like, no, no, no. It's not that you hate them, but you just hate that lie. And you know that that's deceiving and hurting people. And you don't want them to hurt and be deceived. You want them to know the truth. Because when you come to the truth of God's Word, it's something that you want to share. Because it's beautiful and it's helpful. And it's what we're created for. And he says when you do that, when you renew your mind, then he says that the test that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I can go on about the stages of that in the, the life and the maturity of a Christian believer. But the point is, once you know the truth of God's word, you renewed your mind according to the word instead of according to the world, then you will be able to test and discern. You'll have an understanding and a discernment about what the will of God is in every situation and you will reject the lie and the danger of the enemy's traps and you and you only do the things that you see and hear your father do and say. That's what Jesus said. And he didn't have any more than we do when he lived in this world. He had raised, been raised up on the word. He was baptized in the Jordan River with water. At the same time, he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he walked in the power of the Spirit and in communion with God. And that's exactly how he performed all the miracles. And all of those miracle signs and wonders were done just as a part, a byproduct of him teaching about the kingdom of God. He didn't teach about healing, but he healed everybody he saw. He was there preaching about the kingdom and healing came with it. Prosperity came with it. Let me see that boy's sack lunch here. Feed everybody with it. All 5,000. And don't forget to collect all the baskets of leftovers. Hello. Hello. 
That's the benefit of renewing our mind according to the Word. Weren't you just ministering about the importance of the Word in, in our lives? Well, there, there, there it is right there in a nutshell. The Word of God contains the will of God for our lives. Jesus was, is the Word made flesh. This is Him. This book is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it has the power, the blade is so sharp, it can, can divide even the spirit and the soul. What does that mean? Sometimes we think, have you ever heard someone, well, God told me this, God told me that, God told me that. And you're sitting there listening. Because that's what we're supposed to do. One prophet at a time speaks or one preacher. The others listen and discern and judge. And you're sitting there going, that's not God. God didn't tell them that. Because that doesn't line up with the Word. What they're doing, they're attributing their soulish realm, which is unrenewed in that particular statement or truth that they're claiming is God, they're attributing their soulish realm, their thoughts, with God's thoughts. And they haven't bothered to take the time to make sure that that thought, life, that mind, will, and emotions of theirs, their soulish realm, is in agreement with the Spirit, which is only going to be found in the Word of God with the help of the Holy Spirit of God. That's when people are dangerous. That's when preachers are dangerous. That's when Jesus said, watch out for all the false prophets. They're going to come in like ravenous wolves. And you're going to know them by their fruit. If a preacher is preaching uh, GD America and something like that, do you think that's, that fruit is of God? You know, if you remember what I'm talking about, that hateful preacher that preached all those ugly things that one of our presidents was sat under for many years. Well, that's not God. And that, and you can tell why, by His fruit. The fruit of the Spirit of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. That does not fall into that category. So you know that by the fruit of that person, that's a false prophet. <laughs> Hello. Anyway, not picking on anyone in particular. God love them all. And hopefully when we make mistakes like that, we'll repent and get things right with God. But I was just using that as an example in this particular case. But we need to align our thoughts, our goals with God. And then we will get our heart's desires and the other thing is just don't look back once you've entered into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, once you put your hands to the plow and you look back, you're not worthy for the kingdom of God. There's no future in the past. That's how it started out today. Remember Lot's wife, when they were leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, they were, it was about to be destroyed. They were told by the angels, don't look back. Lot's wife looked back and turned to a pillar of salt. God just didn't hate her because she glanced back to see the destruction of where they were leaving. You know, it was that was put in the Bible to show us the danger of looking back and going back to the old life, 
the old ways, the old man that God has crucified with Christ in us. And the same as they use that example in this Bible a lot of times about like uh, going back to Egypt. Anytime they talk about going back to Egypt, that means going back to sin, going back to your former life. God will never call you back to what He's called you out of, you see. And so there's a real danger in that, and we don't want to do that. I know lots of Christians that have one foot in the world and one in the church and have five, six days of the week six and a half they live in the world and their mind is in the world their talk is in the world they look just like the world and they get the results of the world and then they go to church and check that off and and uh, it's not that beneficial not knocking that they go to church that's a good step <laughs> but without a relationship of your own with the word of God I don't know how you can really say that you know Him well and that you walk with Him. I tell people, when you go to pray, keep your Bible with you. Take a pen with you. Underline. Mark it up. Talk it up. Meditate on those Scriptures. Whatever's talking to you right then about that situation and circumstance, talk to the Lord about that Scripture. Meditate on it. Make it your own. Make the light go on. The revelation. Ask the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Spirit, building yourself up in love and in the most holy faith. And ask the Holy Spirit, do not let my mind be unfruitful while I am praying in my unknown tongue. Let me benefit in every way. Let it be you, Lord. Discipleship has cost, you know. That's the point of hands to the plow and Lot's wife looking back there are costs. Jesus said, wait a minute. He, he wasn't that... He, of course, He wants everybody to be saved, but He was, he was careful to, to remind people. Some people would say they want to follow Him. He told them no. You know, but He would always say, count the costs. You know, it's like if a man's going to build a tower, won't he first sit down and figure the expense? You know, you need to know how much materials, how much money it's going to cost. Otherwise, you get halfway done. And you won't be able to finish it. And then you look silly. And he's saying in this case. If you if you come on board with me. And for the kingdom of God. And you begin to proclaim Jesus Christ. As your Lord and Savior. And how wonderful I am. And everything. And then a few months later. They find you back out in the club. And, and uh, you know. Doing cocaine. And drinking beer. And getting in a, getting into fist fights. And all that sort of stuff. He said, that's not going to help the kingdom of God. That's not going to help His reputation. That's not going to help draw other people unto Christ. They're going to say, well, I knew a Christian once. And man, I got enough trouble of my own. I don't want any part of that. That's all just a scam. You see, he's got enough people like that. Enough preachers like that. And I'm not against anybody. I want them all to repent and come on board and let's get this revival going. Because that's what this nation and this world needs. And I believe that I'm going to be a part of the great revival that's coming. It is coming. Whether you're a part of it or not is up to you. But the Lord Jesus is coming. And before He does, there's going to be revival in this nation like you have never seen. And the true children of God are going to be walking in such power and victory and authority. We will be opening blind eyes. The 
the lame will walk, the blind will see, deaf ears will open. Amen. I believe it, George. I believe you'll preach such a powerful message sometimes that you'll take the handkerchief that was in your pocket and you'll give it to somebody there to take home to somebody that's home waiting and with stage four cancer and they'll go and give them that handkerchief and they'll jump up out of that bed and then see them in church the next week healthy at home. Amen. Amen. It's been prophesied to me that these hands will heal thousands. And that I've healed maybe dozens the Lord has. So I'm waiting for the thousands. And until that happens, nothing can happen to me. God is not finished with me yet. By Jesus' stripes, I was healed. And if I go through some things... I am not worried about the outcome. My only concern is how I'm going to go through it. Am I going to let my light shine brighter than anyone who's ever gone through that particular problem before? I pray I do. I pray everybody sees Christ in me. And if I can't believe enough and get my healing manifested that Jesus has already provided for me by grace, which I know He has, and the doctor has to be used to do it, so be it. But I want to be a blessing. I want it to be supernatural. I want their testimony to be, man, i never seen something heal itself like that. Man, i never seen anybody recover that fast. And I want everybody in that doctor's office to get saved and everybody to see Christ in me. Amen. It doesn't matter how God wants to get things done. I just know that He's good and He loves me no matter what. And if I go through something and it's not God's best... If I didn't operate in a strong enough faith to receive God's best in His best fashion, then I'll get it however He wants to get it to me, and I'm still going to go at it in the strong faith. Amen. And He loves me the same no matter what. Nobody can snatch me from His hands. Jesus came to me in a dream one time. And I was in a familiar courtyard of an apartment building that I had some of my youth in. I lived there with my mother. It was hard times. But I was very familiar with where we were. And he was there and he... I saw him and he began to walk with me. And we were walking across this big courtyard in the middle of the buildings, you know, where people played near the laundromat there. He was on my right. We were walking together and imagine the joy, the peace. He was taking me home. Something prompted me and I looked back over my left shoulder like this and off to the distance about 30 or 40 feet away, there was a, a large group of people all types. And they were standing there looking at us, longing in their eyes. And I know what Jesus meant when He said that the people appeared to Him as sheep without a shepherd. And He had compassion because that's exactly how I felt when I saw those people. They were looking at me, at us, like, what about us? Where are y'all going? What are we going to do? And I turned to Jesus as if to ask Him, what about them? And 
without words, his somehow his response to me, and I knew it, I heard him clearly, was basically, if you don't, because I was asking whether I had to be a preacher, if he needed me to be a preacher, or why he wanted me to be a preacher, if it was really what he wanted from me. It was one of those I was debating and going back and forth with him about my calling at the time. And he made it clear that if you don't, they won't. If you don't preach the kingdom of God, they will not be coming with you when you do go with me. They will not be with us in heaven. Some of them will miss God because I need hands and feet and mouthpieces in the world. I have given all my authority to my children. And if they don't have a preacher to preach to them, they will not hear. There are literally over a billion people in this world who have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. We have to be about our Father's business. We can live in the power of God's grace. And that doesn't mean that He's covering sin. Grace and holiness are synonymous. And I can show you right here in Titus chapter 2. Timothy, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared that brings salvation to all people. Are all people saved? No. But the grace of God that has appeared and He has forgiven, He has provided forgiveness and salvation for everybody in this world. But the majority of them will never receive it. Why? It has to be received by faith. But look at verse 12. Training us, teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The grace of God is not something God provided to cover sin. Like somebody told me one time, well, I'll do the best I can and God and Jesus handles the rest. That's not true. The grace of God is the power and provision of God to do and to be all that He's called us to do and to be. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's what the grace of God does. And that's what we can do if we walk in it. You living in sin, you're not living in grace. You're still under the law. You're still a servant of Satan because whoever you obey, whether it's sin and Satan or it's God and His righteousness and holiness, you're a servant to the one whom you obey. Jesus said that, and it's true. In Numbers chapter 21, we were in Numbers starting out today with George, so I just want to mention this and then we'll close. But in Numbers chapter 21, the children of God were in the wilderness and like George said, they had spied out the promised land. They had a bad report. God got very angry with everyone except for the, the spies, Joshua and Caleb, that did not have a bad report. And he said, this whole generation, because you rebelled against me since you're unbelieving, 
and complain, you're going to fall in the wilderness. I'm not going to let this generation go into the promised land. And in Numbers 21, verse 5, you'll see that these people run across a lot of problems. I'll go back to verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Reds to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Complaining, murmuring, grumbling, even though he has done all these miracles in their sight. All these wonderful things and provided for them so well. For there is no food, no water. We loathe this worthless food. They're talking about the manna from heaven that God caused to rain down every day for them to eat. Angel food. They hated it. They were complaining against God's perfect provision for their life. Verse 6, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, uh, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord. They knew why it was happening against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. These people probably didn't even realize that they are speaking against God when they were speaking against the man of God. But they were. God shows this time and again. When he, when he appeared to Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul, on the road to Damascus, he said, why do you persecute me? And he hadn't done anything to Jesus. Jesus had been gone. But he was persecuting Jesus' people. He was persecuting Christians. And Jesus took it personal. Me, that's me you're persecuting. When you mess with my people, do not touch my anointed, God said. So the whole situation was their fault. They're grumbling, they're complaining, they're unbelief, just like you started out today. If they hadn't doubted the Lord when the twelve spies came back from the promised land in Numbers 14, they would have already been in the promised land for 38 years. <laughs> Enjoying everything good. They would have been feasting on the bounty of Canaan. And they wouldn't have had to eat the manna that God rained down from heaven. Even though it provided for them perfectly. So it was their own unbelief that caused all these problems. And just like that, the Lord has nothing but good plans for us. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. He doesn't want to hurt us, but we're many times struggling, roaming around in the wilderness when we could be enjoying the land that He has given us and the bounty of the kingdom of God that is on account for us. 
But it's only because of our own unbelief that we don't enjoy <coughs> everything that God has promised for us. And He longs for us to agree with Him. Because when we do, we benefit. I tell people all the time, the moment you agree with God, everything changes. Everything. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 9 says that the people tempted Christ and the Lord destroyed them by serpents. <laughs> so, they tempted God. And God destroyed them by serpents. Jesus quoted this passage in John chapter 3 verses 14 and 15. And he applied it to himself. Do you remember? I shall be lifted up. I'll draw all men unto me when I'm lifted up. Jesus is just like this bronze serpent that was placed up on the pole. He became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that. And 1 Peter 2.24 says, By His stripes we are healed. All we have to do now is look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12.2. And then we are cured from the bite of sin. Amen. You notice God didn't take away the serpents that were killing the people. But He provided a way to overcome the poison. The poison of those snakes is the same as sin. And just like today, Satan still exists in this world. Satan is still going to come against God's people. Satan is still going to bite God's people. Sin is still prevalent in this world, unfortunately, for a time. But we have the antidote to the poison. All we have to do, just like they just looked up to the bronze serpent on the pole, we look up to our Lord and Savior, our kinsman redeemer, our friend who sticks closer than a brother, our Lord and King Jesus Christ on the cross. <clears throat> and we see all of our punishment, all of our sickness, all of our poverty, all of our strife and brokenness on His body on that tree. And we're here. In every way. God wants to heal us everywhere we hurt. But we have to believe and receive. Otherwise, just like those generation in the wilderness, we will doubt and do without. But that's not God's best for us. We do have a free will. He's not going to force His will and His provision on our lives. But He wants us to have it more than we're ready to receive it. But we have to agree with God. Jesus in the very end of this word in 
Revelation chapter 21, not the very end, but chapter 21, verse 5. And he was seated on the throne. That's Jesus said, Behold, I am making all things new. All things new. Are there some things that we want to be made new in our lives? Is it in our bodies? Is it in our finances? Is it in our marriages? Is it in our relationships? Is it in our work? Is it in our ministry? Is it just in our thinking? In our doing? Our understanding? Jesus has provided the cure, the answer, and He is so willing and ready to walk closely with us in every step of our lives. All we have to do is agree with Him and get going. Amen? Y'all hear Him today? Do you know how much He loves you? Lord, thank You for Your Word today. Thank You for Your love and grace and mercy for all the provision You've made for Your children. For your precious love for us. So overwhelming and complete. Thank you Lord that we will look unto you. The author and finisher of our faith. The provider of all things that are good. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. From the father of light. In whom there is no shadow of turning. We thank you Lord that you will never change. Or change your mind about us. Even when we sin. Even when that serpent bites us we come to you we don't run from you because you're the healer you're the savior you're Jehovah Rapha the God who heals us Jehovah Jireh Jehovah Sidkenu Emmanuel God with us you will never leave us or forsake us we thank you Lord I just ask, Lord, that you reach out and touch everyone here. Meet them at their point of need, whether it's physically, mentally, relationally, financially, or in any other way, Lord. Meet them at their point of need. Touch them and heal them where they hurt now, Lord. And anyone who hears this message all around the world, Lord, your word is anointed. Your power is present. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing a work in all the hearts and minds and lives and bodies and finances and relationships of those who hear. And draw them close to you, Lord. Let them be saved, born again, healed, empowered, loved and prospered by the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Amen.